brand new series. We just finished up uh, our series called Lost in the Garden last week where we focus on the seven deadly sins. This week we're beginning a new series uh, called Living Lukewarm. This is the Rolling Stones graphic, and I I thought you'll see as we go through the book of James why it kind of fits with the tongue and everything. So uh, believe me, it's not just I thought it was flashy and looked good. Uh, There's a a deeper meaning behind the graphic. And and so hopefully you will come to understand uh, these things as we walk through uh, this series. So over the next five weeks, we're going to go chapter by chapter through the book of James. James has five chapters. We're going to spend five weeks. We'll be off one week for Veterans Day because y'all don't have school on Veterans Day, and that's a Wednesday. Uh, So really over the next six weeks, we will spend five weeks going chapter by chapter through the book of James. We're going to talk about what it means to be a lukewarm Christian, right? We're going to talk about what a lukewarm Christian is and the different ways that shows up in our life. And we're going to talk about how to go from being a lukewarm Christian to being an effective disciple, a genuine disciple for Christ. Uh, and so each week we'll, we'll look at each chapter and see what it has to say. And uh, I'm really excited that over the next several weeks you're, you're going to hear from me less than you're going to hear from other people. Uh, so I'll, I'll do two weeks and then there are three uh, special guests who you know very well who are going to be sharing uh, starting next week. Uh, There's going to be special guests, different people sharing uh, from their heart and sharing from the Word of God as we work through this series. And so tonight we are in James chapter 1. And tonight, tonight's message is called Fair Weather Christians. Uh, You may know what a fair weather fan is. You know, if you know anything about sports at all, you know what a fair weather fan is. Or maybe a bandwagon fan. Someone who is only a fan when things are going good. And and the moment things uh, get going bad, they bail. I love to use the example of Fairweather fans as Alabama fans. Man, when the tide is doing tough and and they're not playing good, you can't find a Bama fan anywhere. But you know what? The moment, the moment Nick Saban comes around and they win one championship, it's like, Oh, yeah, do you know we've won like 13 national championships? I've been a Bama fan my whole life. Uh, So, you know, I think we can use a real good example of Bama fans and fair weather fans. Or (laughs) I knew I'd make a couple people. Hey, for the record, that was not my notes. I just came up with that. Um, I know. I got jokes. But, hey, so so tonight we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a fair weather Christian. We all know what a fair weather fan is. And so what does it mean to be a fair-weather Christian, and why is that a problem? And how do we change that? How do we go from being a fair-weather Christian to being a Christian who's in the game? How do we go from a Christian who's sitting on the sidelines, uninvolved, to a Christian who's living for Christ and is actively participating in the game? Who is actively participating in the mission of God? And so tonight, like I said, we are in James chapter 1, and we're going to read the whole book of James over the next five weeks. And so if you've never read a book of the Bible, here you go. Track with us the next five weeks, and, and you, can, you can pat yourself on the back and say, hey, look, I've read a whole book of the Bible. And so tonight, we are in James chapter 1. You can follow with me on the screen. We're going to read it all. Here we go. James 1. This letter is from James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings, dear brothers and sisters. When troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world. 
and they are unstable in everything that they do. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must not all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives. And humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, And if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you claim to be religious but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So tonight, as we talk about how to transform ourselves from being fair-weather Christians, lukewarm Christians, into Christians who are genuinely serving God, genuine, effective disciples, we're going to talk about three different things. They're all found here in the first chapter of James, and the first thing that we have to do, if we're going to become effective, genuine disciples, we have to obey. We have to obey. I'm going to read these verses again to you from James 19 through 26. This is where we see that we have to obey. Listen to these words again. James says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, And if you do what it says, and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Listen to this. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. It's worthless, James says. The first point I want to make when it comes to obedience is this, and it's 
it's a pretty in-your-face, calling-us-out point. The body of Christ has a disease. The body of Christ has a disease, and it's called fair-weather Christians. I'll tell you this again. The body of Christ has a disease, a terminal disease, a, a disease that's going to kill us, and it's called fair-weather Christians. Let me unpack this a little bit. Why, is, why are fair-weather Christians a terminal disease, a deathly, deadly disease to the body of Christ? Maybe the, the better question to ask first is, what is a fair-weather Christian? If you open up the dictionary, there's no definition for a fair-weather Christian, so let me give you my definition. A fair-weather Christian is someone who only wants to obey God when it means doing what they want to do and when it leads to blessings and personal comfort and pleasure. That's what a fair-weather Christian is. A fair-weather Christian is someone who only wants to obey God when it involves doing what they personally want to do. And they only want to follow God or obey God when it leads to personal benefit, when, when they get to receive blessings. And they only want to follow God when it's comfortable, when it's pleasurable, and it's a disease. And here's why it's a disease. Fair-weather Christians undermine the body of Christ because they really only care about themselves. Let me say that again. The problem with fair-weather Christians is that they undermine the body of Christ because they really only care about themselves. See, it goes back to the definition of a fair, what a fair-weather Christian is. See, they only care about following God when it leads to personal blessings for themselves. They only care about following God, obeying God when it leads to personal comfort, when it's comfortable for themselves. And they only really care about following God when it leads to pleasure for themselves. And this is a huge problem. This is a huge problem for the body of Christ. That's why I call it a disease. It, it completely undermines the body of Christ. Let me, let me just speak to you from a personal example. As a youth pastor who, who tries to minister to students to your peers. So I'll just use a very basic example, illustration. All throughout scripture, especially uh, through the books of the, the uh, New Testament. And as we're going to see uh, throughout the book of James, scripture talks to us about the need to control our tongue. And so if I'm sitting down with a student talking to them about the need to control their tongue and not curse or cuss, I'm talking to them about that need. But what they're also hearing is from their friend who claims to be a, a Christian, quote unquote, Right, they have a friend who's a, a Christian, and that friend cusses all the time, has no problem with it, can't control their tongue. And I sit down and tell this person who's never hear, heard the gospel about, about the love of Jesus and how it should transform our lives. And, and I'm talking about how this is one of the, the ways it should transform our lives. It becomes a huge problem. Are they going to believe me or are they going to believe what they're seeing? They're, you know, they're going to ask me, well, my friend's a Christian. And they do it. You see, when, when we are fair with our Christians, when we're lukewarm Christians and, and really we're living for the world, we undermine the body of Christ. Because when we're living for Christ, our lives show the need for Christ. When we're living for Christ, our lives depict what a transformed life is. Because we're living differently than the world would tell us to live. But when we're a lukewarm, fair-weather Christian, and we're living like everybody else, we undermine the gospel. Because what people see is they see that we're just like them. They don't see a need for the gospel. And they think we're just a bunch of hypocrites. It's one of the biggest reasons people don't go to church. One of the biggest reasons people don't go to church is because of the people in the church. Say it again. 
One of the biggest reasons people don't go to church is because of the people in the church. And look, lukewarm Christians need the gospel just as much as anyone else, and they need to be in the church, but we need to understand that it is a problem for people to say and confess that they are followers of Jesus when they are really lukewarm Christians who could care less about following Christ unless it's personally beneficial for them. It's a problem. It undermines the body of Christ. See, James tells us in James 1 that genuine religion means caring and refusing to let the world corrupt you. I'll say it again. James tells us that genuine religion means caring and refusing to let the world corrupt you. James doesn't say, don't, or, or, excuse me, James says, don't just listen to God's word, obey it. He doesn't, he doesn't say, just listen to it and decide whether or not you apply it to your life and follow it. No, James says, listen to it and obey it. James says, genuine religion means that you care. And he uses the, the specific examples of caring for orphans and widows. But at a foundational level, at a simplistic level, James says, Genuine religion means caring. That's an action. It takes response on our part. And he says it requires us to refuse. It means refusing to let the world corrupt you. It means living differently than the world. And that's what lukewarm Christians do. Lukewarm Christians live according to the world, not according to God. And if we are going to be genuine, effective disciples for God, we have to refuse the world. We have to refuse how the world tells us to live and choose to live as Christ tells us to live. It is not good enough for us just to listen to the word of God. We have to obey the word of God. We have to obey it. There has to be action on our part. Elsewhere in the New Testament, we, we see how God feels about lukewarm Christians. We see it uh, in the book of Revelation that John wrote, the Apostle John wrote the book of Revelation, uh, and he records the Lord's feelings towards lukewarm Christians. Now, there's something really uh, unique about uh, the book of Revelation. You know, I, I know uh, the book of Revelation is well known for being the book of the Bible uh, that deals a lot with end times and, you know, uh, Sometimes people think it's a really scary book. I, you know, I honestly personally would love to do a series on Revelation sometime because I think what the, the overall message of Revelation conveys is a message of hope and of redemption, and it's not something to be afraid of. And I think sometimes we misperceive what the, the true message in Revelation is. But there's something else that's very unique that sets the book of Revelation apart. If you look... In your Bible, something that you'll notice, if you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see red letters all throughout those Gospels because those red letters signify the words of Jesus. The only other book in the Bible that you will see red letters identifying and uh, designating the words of Christ is in Revelation. Because John writes this from a point that Jesus was telling him about these things directly. And so I want you to hear directly the words of God about lukewarm Christians, Revelation 3, uh, 15 through 16. He's talking to the church of Laodicea. Here's what he says. Listen to this. It's important. I know all the things that you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you are neither hot nor cold, and you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Those are some pretty harsh, real, consequential words. You know, there's two different ways that we can look at this passage. But no matter which way we look at it, 
it's talking about being an effective disciple of Christ versus being ineffective. And essentially, the Lord is saying, if you are lukewarm, if you are a fair-weather Christian, you are ineffective, and I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. I'm going to spit you out because you are completely ineffective. See, hot water has a purpose. Cold water has a purpose. But I think we could all agree lukewarm water has no purpose at all. If you're taking a shower, I would argue most of you would take a hot shower. Unless you've just been outside sweating your, your butt off and it's hot outside and you want a cold shower. But then you're taking a cold shower, not a hot shower. I don't know anyone who just wants to take a lukewarm shower. Or if you go for a run, you come back and you probably want cold water. You don't want lukewarm water. If you've ever uh, been to like a sports practice or, or anything else where you, you pick up a water bottle, it's been sitting outside and you drink it and it's not cold water, it's just this lukewarm water, generally people spit it out of their mouth because it's disgusting. It's disgusting. It doesn't have a purpose. And that's what the Lord is saying here is because you're ineffective, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And I think we need to realize the significance here of being a fair-weather Christian, of being ineffective. It's serious stuff, and it has consequences. It has real consequences. See, if we want to be a genuine disciple, an effective disciple, we have to be obedient. And here's the distinction between a genuine disciple and a fair-weather Christian is Lukewarm Christians are ineffective and disobedient. Lukewarm Christians are ineffective and disobedient. They're fair-weather Christians. Let me ask you this. If you're on a team, basketball, football, baseball, cheer, band, whatever type of a team that you're on, if there was someone on that team a teammate who was disobedient or ineffective or only wanted to do what they wanted to do, not what anyone else wanted to do or what the coach wanted them to do, what would happen to them? They'd be benched. They would be benched. They'd be put, on the, put off to the side, not allowed to participate because they are ineffective. They're not effective at all. And here's the thing is, if we want to be used by God, if we want to get in the game, we have to be obedient. You have to be obedient. The next thing is this. If we're going to go from being in, uh, ineffective, fair-weather Christians to being genuine disciples, you're going to have to endure Hey, if your back is to me, turn around, please. You're going to have to endure. And here we're going to find this point in verses 2 through 4 and 12 through 15. Here's what it says. Verses 2 through 4 first. James says, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow, for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Verses 12 through 15, James says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Now, I think we need to realize something right off the bat here about how James says this. James does not say 
endure if troubles come. No, he says endure when troubles come. See, James is being very frank with us, straight up, saying, look, you are going to face troubles. You're going to face hardships in your life, and when that happens, you need to endure. He goes out of his way to clarify about our troubles, too, in saying that God is not the source of our troubles. God is not the one who tempts us. God is not the source of temptation or struggle. But he makes an interesting comment here about that. He says that even though you do, you will struggle, God will bless you through the hardship. God will bless you through the hardship. And when, when we face adversity or we face hardship in life, you have two options. You have two options. Here's what they are. You can turn against God or you can stand with God. You can turn against God or you can stand with God. Now, each has their own consequences. If you turn against God, you're going to just be left with the hardship. You're going to be left with the hardship. The hardship is going to come. You're not going to avoid the hardship. It's still going to come. But that's all you're going to be left with. But if you will stand with God, James tells us that the consequence is a reward. It's blessing through the hardship. You know, whenever there's a door prize or something like that, people always say, you have to be present to win. Right? You have to be present to win. And it's the same thing here with God. When we face adversity in our life, and if we bail out, you're not present. And and so don't expect to receive. Don't expect to receive. In fact, James, as we'll see in a few minutes, says, if if your loyalty is not with God, you shouldn't be expecting to receive anything. If you're bailing on God, you shouldn't be expecting to receive anything. But those who will stand with God through hardship, through trouble in their life, Man, God will bless them. But here's the thing that fair-weather Christians do. Fair-weather Christians quit. They quit when life gets tough. Fair-weather Christians quit. And they quit on God. They quit on the body of Christ when life gets tough. Now, I want to take your mind back to the image of a team. You know, if, if you're on a team, you have to be willing. In fact, I would argue you're signing up to, to stick with the team through good or bad. I, I'm just going to harp on Fort Walton Beach High School for a minute, okay? Over the past several years, Fort Walton Beach High School has not been known for having a good football team. They haven't. But here's what I'm going to argue is the, the football players on the Fort Walton team who are now seniors – have gone through some pretty tough years. But this year, they've arguably had one of the best starts that they've had in a long time. And so those seniors stuck through it. A lot of these players have stuck through the adversity because they realize that being on a team doesn't just mean you're signing up for for winning, for, for easy times, for good times. You're on the team and you're a part of the team for good or bad. For good or bad. And if you quit, that's not really looked on as a a favorable thing. If you quit on the team, you're probably not going to be allowed back on the team. Thank God that he has grace for us when we do quit. Let me tell you something, though. Like, hardship is not this, like, surprise, life is hard type of deal. It's not something that God hides from us. If you signed up to be a Christian and said, hey, I want to follow God, I want to give my life to Christ, and you thought it was just going to be this easy life, and the person that shared the gospel with you just painted this picture of this easy, glorious life that had no hardship, I'm sorry. I'm sorry because you were deceived. You were deceived because nothing in Scripture tells us that being a disciple of Christ is going to be easy. 
In fact, Jesus tells us in Matthew, in Matthew chapter 5 that, hey, it's going to be tough. That being a disciple is going to be tough. You see, there's a reason that Jesus, when, when speaking to his disciples, going back to the earlier example, said, you need to be willing as a disciple to take up your cross and follow me. He didn't say pick up your pillow. He said pick up your cross. And we, we, we have to understand who Jesus was talking to. When Jesus is talking to the Jews and people of the Jewish culture and living in Rome, man, crucifixion, a cross was only associated with, with crucifixion. It wasn't this, this flashy thing that you could wear on your neck that looked good and was stylish. It, it, it wasn't just something that they hung on walls. And hear me when I say these things, you know, I wear a cross because it reminds me. Right? And on the back, it even says, it is finished, to remind me of the sacrifice, to remind me of what the cross really is. And that's why we have a cross hanging here, so we can remember. But the, the, the Jews had a completely different image that came to mind when Jesus would have been talking about a cross. For them, it would have meant giving up everything. Like going to the extreme suffering. Being crucified was looked at the, as being the form of the most excruciating, worst suffering that a single person could ever go through. It was considered to be the worst punishment anyone could ever receive. Because essentially, not only did you have nails through your, your wrists and your ankles, you essentially suffocated on the cross. You essentially suffocated because you're hanging there and you have to push yourself up to get breath. And eventually you get tired and you suffocate. You don't die from hanging on the cross from the nails going through. No, you died from suffocation. And, it, and if you weren't dying quick enough to make things worse, they'd come and break your legs so that you couldn't push up. And not only that, Jesus went through all sorts of just awful suffering before going to the cross. And so as Jesus is talking to his disciples about take up your cross, he's saying, look, you're going to have to endure hardship. You're going to have to endure hardship. But if you will do that, what comes on the other side of the crucifixion? Redemption. On the other side of the cross is redemption. Jesus doesn't promise that life is going to be easy in any way, shape, or form. The only blessing that Jesus promises us is the blessing that is on the other side of the cross. And that is redemption. And Jesus says, look, if you will stick it out with me, if you will endure, I will give you this blessing. I will give it to you. Finally, the, the third thing, if we are going to go from being fair-weather Christians to genuine, effective disciples, you have to be loyal. You have to be loyal and you have to be committed. We're going to see this in verses 5 through 8. Listen to these words. Here's what it says. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. Ask, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But listen to this. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and between the world. And they are unstable in everything that they do. Now I think this illustration that James paints for us, if anyone in the world can understand this, it's us here in Destin, or anyone living on the coast, right? We, a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, there was a hurricane, what was the hurricane? Uh, Sally, yeah, Hurricane Sally came through. I always want to say Sandy, but that was several years ago in a different part of the country. Hurricane Sally came through, and if you went to the beach, or if you've ever been to a, the beach when a hurricane or a tropical storm's going 
through and you look at the waves, right? The waves are very unstable. They're all over the place. They're almost reckless. And so uh, when we read this, we need to, to picture this image that if we have divided loyalty, if we are not loyal to God alone, we're like those waves. We're, we're just all over the place. You're not stable. You're not consistent. You're not effective. You're reckless. And that's the picture here that James is painting. James says that you have to choose a side. You have to choose a side. And you have a choice. And your choice is either Christ or the world. You have a choice. And frankly, the choice is yours. You can choose Christ or you can choose the world, but you can't have both. But, but here's the thing with fair-weather Christians, okay? Fair-weather Christians try to play on both teams. Fair-weather Christians try to play on both teams. They try to be on Team Jesus and Team World. They want to have their left foot in the world and their right foot in the gospel. They want to serve God but also serve the world. And it just, it, it's not possible. It's not possible. Everything that scripture says about this, it's consistent. It's that you have to either serve God or serve the world. You can't do both. They don't align. It'd be like saying I'm an Auburn fan, but I'm also a Bama fan. The two don't mix. You can't play for Auburn and also play for Alabama. It doesn't work. They're rivals. They're rivals. And if a player showed up and, and told uh, Nick Saban or, or Gus Malzahn, hey, I want to play for both teams. Hey, let me play offense for Auburn and defense for Alabama. I think the coaches would both look at them and laugh in their face and said, uh, how about you play for neither team? How about you play for neither team? You're, you're, you're unstable. And really, that's what we find is if you're going to serve God and try to serve the world also, you're really just going to be caught in the middle. You're going to be unstable. And, and frankly, that's going to be completely worse than just serving the world. Because you're going to be pulled in two different directions. And James talks about this. And he says, look, if you need something, don't be afraid to ask God for it. He'll give it to you. He won't get mad at you for asking but he says, if you're going to ask for something, there's one thing that you need to do, and that's to make sure that your faith, your trust, is in God alone. Alone. You need to make sure that you do not have divided loyalty. And he says that people with divided loyalty, people, fair-weather Christians who are trying to play both teams, should frankly not be surprised when they don't get anything. And he says they shouldn't expect anything. It shouldn't come as a surprise. And a lot of times we ask, man, why am I not seeing God work in my life? Why does it seem like God is just not working in my life? And I'm going to argue it's because your faith is not in God alone. Your trust is not in God alone. You're asking God for stuff, but you're not trusting God. And if you're not going to trust God, you're not going to receive from God. You're not. You don't get the benefits of being on the winning team if you're playing for the opposing team. It's not how that works. Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew expands on this. And he, he says in Matthew 6, 24, that you cannot serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. You have to pick a side. And so what we see is that if we're going to be genuine, effective disciples of God, we have to be dependable. You have to be dependable. If you're going to be a genuine, effective disciple of God, you have to be dependable. And James says, loyalty matters. Loyalty matters. As we close, here's what I want you to do. I want everyone to put their head down. 
I want everyone to put their head down. Close your eyes, put your head down. Don't don't play on your phone. Just do this for a minute. I, I just want you to put your head down. I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to these words. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that you're on a team. Band, cheer, sports, whatever type of a team it is. And I want you to imagine that someone on the team is disobedient. They only do what they want to do. They quit when things get tough. And they're trying to play for both teams. I just want you to think about this question to yourself. Are they really on the team? Are they really on the team? Let me ask you a a different question. Do you want them on the team? What should they be doing as a team member? Now I want you to imagine that that person is you. You're the person who is trying to do only what they want to do. They're not following what what God has said. You quit when things get tough, and you're trying to play on both teams. You're trying to play for God and for the world. Do you really belong to the team? What should you be doing? What should you be doing in order to be an effective disciple? You can look back up. Just as we close, I just want to ask you these things. Because what's true for Benton and what's true for Scarlett or for Addie or for myself, it's different. But here's what I can tell you. It doesn't matter what your relationship with Christ looks like. We all struggle with, with this in different ways, shapes, or form. Look, I'll be the first one to tell you that I struggle with being a fair-weather Christian sometimes. I struggle with that sometimes. I'm by no means perfect. I don't think anyone in this room who's a committed disciple of Christ would say that they are effective 100% of the time. I don't think that they would sit here and say that they don't struggle with this. But I think that if we're being honest with ourselves, you know, what I'll tell you is, yes, I struggle with this, but I want to overcome this. I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to be a fair-weather Christian. My desire is for every aspect of my life to reflect a disciple of Christ who is effective and who is genuine. And I desire that for you too. I desire you to be men and women of Christ who, when you go into Fort Walton Beach High School, instead of giving in to the world, you stand with Christ. Incredibly hard to do. When you go to DMS, it's incredibly hard to do. But my hope is that you would make that choice. I think we seriously need to be honest with ourselves about this, of how do we struggle with this? And I'm just going to be honest with you. If you sit here and you can, if you think you can 100% honestly say that you do not struggle with this at all, you're fooling yourself. The only person you fool is yourself. And that's dangerous. You're not fooling me. You're fooling yourself. And that is dangerous. If we're going to be genuine disciples who are actually effective and make a difference, not Christians who are benched on the sideline, we have to be obedient to his word. We have to endure through hardship. And we have to be loyal to Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I I thank you for 
this time that we have together tonight. Lord, I thank you for these students who, who are here and those who are able to join us online. Lord, it, the students who are quarantined right now as is, is either positive cases or close contacts, Lord, I, I pray for their health right now. Lord, I pray that you would work healing in their life, Lord, and, and, and just protect them. But Lord, I thank you just for moments like tonight where we can just sit in your word, sit in a, a chapter of your word, Lord, and just be honest with ourselves and, and ask ourselves how we struggle with being effective disciples of Christ and how we can take steps in our life to overcome complacency, to overcome being fair-weather Christians. And Lord, I pray that you would help us become genuine, effective disciples for you. Lord, I pray for these students that when they go into the schools, when they walk out of this, this church tonight, Lord, they're going to have an option either to live for you or to live for the world. They're going to have an option tomorrow morning when they wake up and go to school. They're going to have an option either to give in to the world and live like the world and to be a fair-weather Christian or to live for you and take a stand for you. Lord, I pray that you'd give them the boldness, the courage, the strength to make the choice to stand with you, not against you. I pray that you would give them the courage and the strength and frankly the desire to live for you and to refuse the world. To realize that the world is just deceiving them. Man, it's all just a, a sham. And Lord, if I'm being honest, it, it really just makes me mad. It makes me so mad to see students looking at the world and falling for the tricks that the world is giving them. Falling for what the world claims to offer. Lord, it makes me so mad to see students being deceived. But Lord, my heart breaks for these students. Because what they think they're receiving from the world, it turns to brokenness. It turns to brokenness. It turns to hurt. It turns to pain. It turns to being lost. And Lord, I so badly just want them To see that what you offer, even though it doesn't seem popular because the world doesn't define it as popular. But I pray that they would just come to see that what you offer is just so much better. But I pray that they would come to see that, yes, refusing the world is hard, but the reward is so much greater. Lord, Satan makes me so mad. Lord, I'm tired of seeing students broken. I'm tired of seeing students hurt. I'm tired of seeing students turn from the gospel because the gospel has been misrepresented to them by people who have hurt them, by people who have lied to them. That's what I'm tired of.
to see your presence in their life. Lord, I just desire for these students to live for you. And I know their lives are hard. I've heard it. I've seen it. And it's not fair. But Lord, I pray that you'd give them the strength to endure the hardships that they're facing in life. To realize that you've never abandoned them. That you've always loved them. You've always been with them. that they would turn to you and stop running from you but that they'd stand with you and not against you Lord I love these students I love these students Lord, the love that I have for them doesn't even compare. doesn't even compare to the love that you have for them. So, Lord, I pray that you'd surround them with your love. Show them your love. Help them understand your love. Lord, help them to become men and women disciples who choose to live for you. genuine disciples, effective disciples who turn from the world who follow your word and are committed to following you every day, every moment of their life but as we continue into worship today and into small groups Lord I pray that you would bless this time in worship Lord I pray that you would help us unpack your word Lord I pray that you would challenge Help us realize where we need to grow. Help us realize the areas of our life that we need to let you in. Help us to be honest with ourselves. Lord, I love you. Thank you for the love that you have for these students. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey everyone, this is Nathan Sell, the youth pastor at Destin United Methodist Church. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. My prayer is that the Lord would use this podcast as an opportunity to speak life into you. I hope all of you know the love that the Lord has for you and that you are experiencing His blessings each and every day. God bless you and thank you for listening.